Well, good morning, Center Church. How we doing? Good, good. All right. A nice introduction. It's good to be here. Um, so like John said, my name is Cody. I'm the Connections Pastor over at Frontline. And uh, the funny thing is, is I've had somebody say I look like John, and then I've had somebody else say I sound like John. And the person that said I look like John is my wife. So that's a little bit awkward, but... Um, <laughs> So if you're new in the room, um, I know there's a couple new people. I am not normally here, so if I disappoint you today, don't worry. I probably won't be back, but it's good to be here, guys. Um, John is an incredible leader and pastor, as those of you who attend here regularly um, know. And so to come here and be able to speak to you this morning is, is an honor. And so John really talked me up, and so let me get the expectations right. I'm pretty average, so if you had high expectations, let's, let's bring it under the bar a little bit. Um, but one thing John didn't tell you was a little bit about my life before I knew Jesus. So John knows the um, transformed, loves Jesus, Cody, but he never met the one before that. And um, there's a lot of things I could kind of explain that would kind of highlight my life in that way. Um, but the, the two things that I will say to kind of give you a picture of what I was like before is there was two things that I won't say hate because that's a strong word, but I strongly disliked. The first one was church, and the second one was public speaking. All right, and here we are today, right? And, uh, you know, growing up, uh, the, the option for me as a kid was um, my mom would say, either you go to church or you're grounded. So you can see that I was, you know, trying to get out of church, right? And so that was very much um, kind of my life. And I had a friend that we would, uh, we were, you know, growing up in church and we would be like making faces across the church and disrupting. We were those kids, right? And um, that was something that just continued, right? I had no hunger for the church. And then public speaking, so that was something that always freaked me out. And, and in fact, I guess public speaking is feared more than death. Do you guys know that? So literally, I'm like conquering death up here, I guess, this morning. And, um, you know, I, I, even today, it like kind of gives me, you know, the, the feels inside, but I really didn't like it, um, you know, growing up. And to kind of paint a picture of that, um, I was in football, and so it was my freshman year of football and um, I had this thought, I said, you know what, once I'm a senior, the coach is probably going to ask me to do the, the end of the speech at our banquet. And so think about that. That was like four years down the road, and I was thinking about something four years down the road. That's how much it freaked me out. And I ended up giving that speech, and it terrified me, and it was no fun. So that gives you a little bit um, of kind of where I'm coming from, um, because what John knows about me was, um, knows about me today is, you know, I'm redeemed, I love the Lord, but it wasn't always that way. And so I have a question for you in the room, because those were things I wanted nothing to do with. Have you ever gotten what you wanted, but later found out it wasn't what you expected? Have you ever gotten what you wanted, but later found out it wasn't what you expected? So growing up, um, you know, I had a great family, and, um, you know, as I got older and got into college, one of the things that I realized was, wow, I am a poor college student, right? And so if you're in college or gone through college, your, your meal was ramen noodles, right? Like that's what you lived off of. And so that was kind of my experience growing up of like, man, I just, you know, I've, I've, had, I've worked and stuff, but I felt like I always didn't have a lot of money. And then college brought on student loans. And um, so that, that was, you know, one of the one of the things that I really started to notice. 
And so growing up the last seven years, what I've really kind of boiled it down of like the two things that I really want to have um, are a pay increase and a house, right? A pay increase because I've spent most of my life pretty poor, right? Living off my family and then going through uh, internships and living with different, you know, people who were very generous and had more money than me so would take me in and, and love on me in the poor state that I was in. Um, and so... Uh, Obviously, as I've grown up and kind of gotten to the place I'm at now, I've, I've noticed that, that the pay increase thing mattered. And the second thing I really wanted was a house. Um, you know, I lived with my parents growing up, and um, I have lived at college in a, in a house that wasn't my own. So, you know, you want to make it your own, and so you can't put holes in the wall and all that stuff. And then, and then I moved again and then lived with a family. And so I was like, oh, man, now I'm living in somebody else's home, and I'm probably making them feel awkward. And so you kind of see the pattern, right? I've kind of grown up in this, this spot where I really wanted those couple things. And what's really great news is I actually got both of those things within the last, like, month. So this is all really fresh, um, my wife and I, we moved from Atlanta. We actually grew up on the east side of Michigan originally, um, but we're in Atlanta for two years and then moved here uh, three months ago. And uh, my wife and I both got full-time jobs, so we're making the most money we've ever made. We're pastors, so I promise you it's a humble wage, but nonetheless, <laughs> it's, uh, it is the most we have made. And then uh, we just bought a house as well. And so that's been awesome. But nobody really told me the nightmare of owning a house can be, right? I hear some laughter over there, the, the Michigan fans over there, because you know, right? It's, 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 it's good owning a home, but, you know, we, we get into the house and all the paint's wrong. You know, we have certain things we're moving in and none of it matched the walls. And even though the walls are, you know, just fine, we had to paint all the walls. And then, um, you know, the yard's a disaster, so we got to tear up all the grass and replant grass. And, the, you know, none of our... None of the stuff that we have furniture-wise fits in certain rooms, and so now we're having to get new furniture, and the list goes on and on, right? I really thought I would just end up coming into the house. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. I have money and a home. But the silence in my house, all I hear is knocking, and the fridge is broken, and, and you just hear all the issues with it, right? But don't we do this? Isn't this true in our culture? Don't we do the same thing? Don't we have this experience if I just had this car, if I just had this one house, if I had a bigger house? My, one of the ones that, that I fall into and, and I've heard a lot of people is, man, if I just moved to a different city, then all my issues would, would be gone, right? I could start over. The problem is, is the issues follow you to whatever city you go to. And if you didn't like yourself there, you're probably not going to like yourself there. And so I've learned that one, um, and I'll admit that first, um, be the first one to admit that. And maybe you're in a little bit different stage of life and, you know, you've spent your whole life working and the amount of money you have in retirement is, is not quite what you thought. Maybe you have enough to pay the medical bills, but you're like, oh man, I, I, you know, I saved all this money. I wish I would have saved more. Or maybe you're later in life and you've been married 50 years and you're like, oh, my marriage just isn't what I thought it would be at this age. And so I think we all have something that we're attached to, something that we really value that we're unsure of, if it was even worth it. And here's the reality. All of these things, when we pursue them, 
um, we get there, right? So you get the new house, and what ends up happening, when you realize that it didn't really fill the void that was there, you get there, and you kind of look around, and you're freaked out, and like, oh gosh, there's no resolve in me, and so what ends up happening is we fall kind of into sin, right? A lot of times that's what happened. You get to the thing that you thought would fill your heart, it doesn't, and so what ends up happening is we look elsewhere, and that's when addiction comes in, um, maybe issues in our relationships, adultery, and you name it. And we see this idea kind of play out in Scripture. This, this idea where, have you ever gotten what you wanted but later found out it wasn't what you expected? And we see this playing out in the book of Psalms. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and get that out. And we're going to be turning to Psalm 118. But before we get there, let me kind of paint the picture a little bit. We actually don't know who the author is of Psalm 118. It's believed to be David, but it's, but it's unsure. And so because we don't know the author, uh, the time that it was written is a little ambiguous too. It's like, okay, we don't know who. It's around the time of the nation of Israel. But because we don't know who the author is, it's like, man, this text is kind of mysterious. And what's, what's interesting though is this psalm is actually quoted more in the New Testament than any other psalm. So it, it matters. It has something to say. And the heart of this text is everywhere. We see its theme in Scripture. We see it come alive in a lot of different areas. And so I'm going to read it for us. So if you're with me, it should be up on the screen for you. But Psalm 118, 22 through 24 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. So as I read this, there's a couple, there's some metaphors in here, right? So I read, you see up there, it says the stone and then the builders. So in this text, basically the stone resembles the nation of Israel, right? The ancient people, the Israelites, and the builders are basically anyone that kind of denied the nation of Israel. All the people that were against God and all the people against the nation of Israel. So stone, Israel, builders, the people that rejected them. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a background of kind of the nation of Israel during this time because I think understanding a little bit of their journey um, kind of helps paint the context of what we're, what we're going to be talking today. So I'm going to start off in Genesis 17 through 7 through 8. Uh, God is speaking to Abraham here. It says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Okay, so right off the top, basically what's happening is God is starting this relationship with Abraham, right? And so back in Genesis, um, the fall of Adam and Eve, right? They eat the forbidden fruit, and so now the world's kind of a disaster. And so God's like, all right, I got to mend the pieces together. And so he uses Abraham and says, I'm going to start a relationship with you and, your, and, and the nation that's with you. And um, what's really cool about this promise that God has is it actually outlives the leaders, so God starts this with Abraham, but after he dies, the, the same promise happens with his son Isaac. And then when Isaac dies, the same promise is there with Jacob. And so God is faithful, and the promise that he has starting with Abraham continues through the generations. 
And so we get into Egypt, all right? So the Israelites, they get into Egypt. Some of you know the story a little bit. The Israelites spent 400 years in, in Egypt, and most of that time was in slavery. Can you imagine that, 400 years in slavery? And mo- most of us have heard the story of Moses, right? Moses comes in, he, you know, let my people go. He ends up getting the people out of Egyptian slavery. But the problem is, is Moses takes them to another un- uncertain future, and that's another 40 years in the wilderness. Man, we think we got it bad, right? This is horrible. Um, and so they're in the wilderness, and so now the, the, the Israelites are basically, they're complaining, right? They're like, at least when we were in slavery, we had food, water, water, and shelter, and now we don't have any of that, right? We're not in slavery, but we're in the wilderness now, and we don't even know when our next meal is, right? And they're eating manna from heaven, so it's just crazy. They don't even know what tomorrow holds. And so now they spend time there. And so eventually Moses does bring them into the promised land, the land of Canaan. So imagine this. They've spent 400 years in slavery, another 40 years um, in, in bondage in the wilderness, and then they finally get to the promised land. They must have they got there, right? Sat there, whew, taking a deep breath, and we made it. Can you imagine that? After all that time, they finally get to the promised land. But there's a but here. They had enemies on all sides of them, right? So they're in this promised land. But the problem is, is they have enemies. They got people warring them on all sides. And they, they think, okay, okay, so we're in the promised land. We're being attacked. But um, yeah, if we had a king, that could probably solve all our problems, right? Because kings are known to solve everyone's problems. So they ask for a king, and God provides that king um, through Saul and David and eventually Solomon. And Solomon ends, ends up sinning, and then the nation splits in two. Now we have Israel and Judah, a family divided. And y'all thought your family was dysfunctional? It's like we got Israelite blood in us, right? There's something that's, that's dysfunctional as we read this and, and see in it. And so I want to remind you what, what Psalm 118 says again. Uh, verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we're going to, um, there's going to be a picture up here to kind of illustrate this. So during this time, whenever a builder um, during this time would construct something like that, um, the most important thing that they would do is find a stone that they would start with and then one they would finish with. And the reason that mattered is because the stone that they started with was the stone that set the whole trajectory of the building, right? Getting it square, making sure everything's lined up. And then the stone that they would finish with kind of sealed the deal, right? It sealed the whole structure in. And so these builders, what they would do is they would see all these stones and they would kind of, you know, be the judge of whether or not it'd be a good cornerstone. No, that one won't work. No, that's not going to work either. No, ah, there it is. They'd pick that stone up and they'd set that down, and there's the cornerstone. This is what the text is saying about Israel. That messed up nation I just talked about, they're the cornerstone. That's what the text is saying about the nation of Israel. But you got to be wondering the same thing as me. Why? Why would they be, of all people, the cornerstone? But we got to be honest. Don't we kind of do the same things? Don't we do the same things? Maybe for you, it's, you know, you, you look to whatever desired future you have, you arrive there, and it's just disappointing. It's not what you thought. 
It's not what you dreamed up. It's not what you had in your heart, what you had thought it would be like. And so my question for you is, what's your promised land? What's your promised land? I already told you mine. Mine was my house and a little bit more money. And we all know how that turned out, right? And guys, you know, and, and I'm entrepreneurial in how I think, so I'm always trying and doing different things. And um, I, I think the biggest pitfall that I fall into um, is, is, is thinking that somehow I'll succeed or get somewhere, and then I'll be able to sit there and just, and just breathe and go, I made it. I made it. But the problem is that didn't happen. I got in my house, sat on the couch, neighbors are yelling, fridge is knocking, there's noises I still haven't solved that I hear. It's a little bit different than, than what I thought. And Israel felt this too. They were looking for rest, and they get to the place that they think that they would be able to rest, and they're not finding it. We have a problem here. And I think, I think there's a lot of things Israel wanted. I know what they didn't want. They didn't want manna from heaven. They had enough of that, 40 years of that. They were good on that. But a couple things I think they did want was freedom and security. I think freedom because when they were in the, uh, the under Egyptian slavery for 400 years, man, they were tired of being slaves, right? All they wanted was to be free for once in their life. And so they finally get out of that. So they got their freedom. I think they wanted security because they end up 40 years. If, if 400 years in bondage wasn't enough, they spent another 40 years um, in complete obscurity. And I think they wanted security because, well, they didn't know when their next meal was coming in the wilderness. They didn't know if they were going to have shelter. They didn't know if they would live another day. And so I think freedom and security were really important to this nation. Israel really thought that pushing for years to get there would, would kind of fulfill them. But man, it looked different than they expected, didn't it? And God brought them there. They got their freedom and they got their security. Man, it looked a lot different than what they thought. Israel thought the land would satisfy their need. But it was actually the one who brought them there that ultimately would. God. He fulfills their need. He fulfills my need, your need. And so my question for you is, what's your promised land? What's your promised land? All the people and nations warring against Israel wanted what God had to offer, but they didn't want God himself. They wanted the blessing that God had, but they didn't want the blesser. And Jesus actually talks about this in a parable. Um, and man, Jesus, he's always got a really wise way of kind of bashing people. Jesus is the only person I know that can completely like, like offend somebody and get away with it. Um, and so I'm going to read that because basically uh, what I'm painting, the picture I'm painting for you, Jesus kind of captures this in, in the parable. And we probably know it, so it'll be up on the screen. It's Mark 12, 1 through 11. Um, it's the parable of the tenant. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's a little bit longer, so if you're like me and you're ADD, lock in. Right? That's what I got to do, so my fellow ADD people lock in for, for a few minutes. I won't be long. So here we go. So Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. 
At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so I'm going to recap this um, for, for those of you who tuned out on me, because I get it, I do the same thing, all right? So basically what's happening here is you have an owner of this land, this vineyard, right? And the owner disappears, the scripture doesn't say, but he leaves, and he, he says, all right, I need a couple farmers to watch the land, so the farmers watch the land, and then the owner at some point said, all right, servants, I, it's, uh, the harvest is plentiful, I need to send you to collect the harvest. And so he's sending these servants. First servant, oh, they beat him and, and get him out of there. Second servant, they kill him, and so they keep killing, and and sending people away from them. And then finally, the owner sends his son and says, well, surely they're going to respect my son. And basically, the farmers are sitting there looking, well, he's, he's blood to the owner. So if we kill him, then the land's ours because there's no one else to take it. And so what do they do? They kill him, and now the land's theirs. And what's funny is the farmers actually did get what they wanted. They got the land. They finally got it, right? It took, it, it took killing people, but they got the land. But the problem is, is at the end, it says the owner's going to come back. And so those farmers, they may have won for a little bit. They may have taken a shortcut to get what they wanted, but we all know how the story ends, and the owner comes back. But don't we do this too? Embarrassingly enough, don't we, don't we go after things at any cost? Um... I'm not much into the Enneagram, but I'm a three, and supposedly the three likes to take shortcuts. And so, like, I'll be honest, right? If I want to win or if I want something, I'll do things that I'm like, wow, that was desperate, right? But don't we do the same thing? If we really have our mindset on something, man, we'll cheat. We'll, we'll do anything to get there. And you want to know why Israel was the cornerstone? It's not about who you are, it's about whose you are. And the nation of Israel belonged to God. They were God's chosen nation. It had nothing to do, there was no earning. Israel didn't earn their way to God. God said, I'm going to start a relationship with you. And what's interesting is Israel wasn't even an impressive nation. They were one of the smaller nations, but basically the reason they were the cornerstone, what made them special was God. It wasn't some weird trait they had. It wasn't some special favor. It was God made them special, and that's what made them the cornerstone. And they could never earn that or be worthy enough to do that. We want the blessing God offers instead of the blessing he is. In Psalm 118 and Mark 12, I think there's kind of two things that play out in both of these. And even in life, we, we kind of see this play out. There are those who go after the thing, so for them, it was the land. For us, it's, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. And then there's those who go after the one. 
Israel went after the one. That's why they kept progressing. It didn't look like what they thought, but they were the reason they were able to keep going forward was because they were going after the one. And as a result of that, they ended up being blessed. They got the land and everything else they need. Again, wasn't what they thought, but they did get it. And it's funny, too, because Israel actually got both the land and God. So a lot of times, God's not even asking us to choose one over the, over the other. But how you get there actually does matter. As a three, that's convicting. I want to cheat to get there. Can't. You can cheat a lot of people, a lot of things, but you can't cheat God. So you may be wondering this. How do I know if that's for me? Well, I'll prove it to you. In Psalm 118, and, and let me remind you where we're at. Um, we're in the Old Testament, so this was before Jesus. And Psalm 118:23 says, The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. This passage is directly referring to Jesus. In its context, it's talking about the nation of Israel and, and how God is with them in the moment, but the text is actually looking forward to Jesus. Jesus isn't born yet. It's proclaiming that he will one day come, and it says the Lord has done this. So the promise God is making here in Psalm 118 is the same promise you have today. But here's my question, and it's a big one. Will you take it? Here's my encouragement. Don't spend your whole life chasing the wrong thing. And I'll be the first one to admit I did this for 19 years. And after giving my life to Jesus, I still don't get it right. But don't spend your whole life chasing the wrong thing. So you put all your hope in your money, your house, the new car, the whatever relationship here on earth, you'll get to the end and you'll, be, you'll probably be disappointed but there is one person you won't be disappointed in. There's only one person that can, that can actually fulfill that pain, that void that maybe you experienced in your life, and that's Jesus. And I'll say this, everything really does rise and fall on the cornerstones that we have built in our life. And anything that isn't rooted and connected to Jesus, it will eventually fail. And like the other nations, like the, you know, the farmers in the story, guys, you'll get away with it. You know, you'll, it doesn't matter. Like, you'll, you'll get away with certain things, and for a while, you'll trick yourself enough to believe, like, oh, yes, I got it. But the, the truth will come out. We want the blessing God offers instead of the blessing he is. We want the blessing God offers instead of the blessing he is. And here's the reality. Even if you choose to do life your own way, like I mentioned, Mark 12 reveals what happens in the end. And God will come back. And man, as a three, man, I really just want to, I want to conquer this world. I want to start things. I want to have a lot of houses. I want to I do things, right? And sometimes the thing isn't the, isn't the thing that's bad, but who we put in front of that or what we put in front of that really does matter. 
And so we have two options going forward. We can either choose independence, which is basically saying, God, I'm good on my own. I'm going to be like the nations that were against Israel and, you know, try to get things the short way and, do, and just carry the whole world, world on my shoulders. Or we can lean into dependence, a neediness for God, to be poor in spirit, to really have a desire to, to lean into God no matter what it is. And here's the reality, right? Because I pitched up an opportunity and so every one of you is thinking, all right, what's it going to cost me? That's what I think, right? All right, what's it going to cost and how am I going to go forward? And I'll say this, either way, whatever you choose, it's going to cost you. And the cost for both situations is actually your life. In the first circumstance, if you're doing it on your own, you're choosing to just pursue life through yourself, it's going to cost you your life because you're going to spend eternity, separ eternity separated from God. It will cost you your life if you choose God because every, Scripture tells us every single day when you're, when you're a Christian, when you love Jesus, man, you're going to war. There is no just casual day. Have you ever woken up and you're just like, oh gosh, I have so much to do and so much, and you just feel and like you just want to quit? It's going to war every single day. In the first circumstance, you spend eternity away from God. In the second dependent circumstance, this life on, on, on earth, it's, it's hard, but you get to spend eternity with God. I know a little bit about investments. I don't know any finance people, but like when we're looking at like where you put all your, your money into, second one, that's the good one. That's the one you want to retire on. Here's the good thing. You have something the nations who oppose God no longer have, a chance to repent and turn to Jesus. And when I say repent, for you, maybe that's the first time or maybe for you, it's, it's, you know, Scripture tells us every day we should repent. I'll be the first one to say I'm not above that. Here in a minute when we, when we enter into worship, I'm going to be seeking my heart. All right, God, show me, show me what I need to deal with. And so here's my invitation. I hate doing this, so you're not going to like doing it either, probably. Who or what is the cornerstone of your life? Some of you, it's a thing. Some of you, it's a person. I'm married. I love my wife, but she's not my cornerstone. God is. And I end up being a way better husband to her when that's true. Who or what is the cornerstone of your life? And so as we enter into worship here in a second, my encouragement for you is, is just sit in the presence of God. Uh, don't jump into it right away. Just start to praise God, worship God. And just start to ask him, where have I desired the blessings you offer rather than the blessing you are? I'm willing to bet, especially with COVID, there's probably some things we got to unwind again. I know for me, that was hard. Being out of church and then you know, getting out of rhythm and, man, I got to work on that. And I think maybe some of you, you would agree, there's some things maybe you need to seek out. And so, church, what are we going to do to change that? Let's pray. So, Father, we love you. 
we thank you. And God, we worship you. And so if you're online with us, we invite you to look in. What are the things or the people that you've made a cornerstone in your life that you need to bring to God today? I don't know a lot, but what I do know is anything that isn't Jesus that becomes um, totally just consumes us, it ends up getting in the way. And so I encourage you to spend the next bit of time here really being honest with yourself and not the superficial honesty of, oh, I cussed out the dog. You need to be real honest and you're not going to like it. I'm not going to like it either. But there's always healing. There's always better promise from God when we put him first. And all of the sudden, all of the issues that we face, it doesn't matter anymore because our faith is built on him, not our circumstance. And we can have a safe haven with Jesus rather than whatever it is that we're chasing after. Father, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.